There's a really old movie uh, called Patton. It's based on World War II. And in World War II, there was, a, there was a decisive victory in Africa, in the North African tank battle. And General Patton, who was the head of the armed forces, the, the, that part of the tank division, General Patton, who was American, wins a decisive victory in North Africa. And he beat the desert fox, Erwin Rommel. And upon his victory, Patton says how he won the battle. Now, I don't know. It's in the movie. I don't know whether it's really true that he actually did that. But what he said was, I read your book. In other words, he said, I know my enemy. I know who you are. I know what the battle is. I know what your battle plan is. And I read the book. I know what to do when the enemy comes against me. I know what to do when you're facing all sorts of challenges in life. I know what to do when the enemy comes against me. And today, the title of my message is Know Your Enemy. Know your enemy and know what to do. And as Christians, we do have an enemy. We're going to unpack that this morning. We're going to look at Ephesians chapter 6 just for a brief little while. And it's a bit of a spoiler alert because we're going to be doing Ephesians as a whole book a little later on in the year. And so you're going to really enjoy that. But today, as we consider life, as we consider where we're going in life in 2024, a lot of people, a lot of Christians end up battling the wrong thing. They end up not understanding where the battle is, how to, how to get through the battle and how to get through the other side. I can't remember who said it, but someone said, if you're in the middle of a battle, if you're in the middle of a dark time, the one thing you've got to do is make sure you don't stop. We've got to keep going. You've got to keep moving forward. You've got to keep. But to know what your battle is all about, to know how to win that battle, to know what you're facing and who your enemy actually is, is a very important part of actually getting to the other side. It's an important part of making it through to where God has for you and me to be in the name of Jesus. So let's grab our Bibles and let's go to Ephesians chapter 6. And let's have a look at verse 10, and we're going to get to verse 24. If you don't have a Bible, it's going to come up on the screens. If you're watching at home, you can, it'll, uh, it'll come up on the screen there as well. So here we go. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10. Finally. Now, just a little hint. When Paul writes the word finally, it's a conclusion to the first five chapters. So he's coming all the way to this point and he said all of what he said from chapter 1 through to chapter 5 to the first part of chapter 6, he said all of what he said to say, now I want to bring it to a point, I want to bring it to a conclusion and I want you to understand what we're all about. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the full armour of God so you'll be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood but against rulers, against powers, against world forces of this darkness, against spiritual forces of wickedness in heavenly place, places. Therefore, what's the hint in therefore? Whenever you see the word therefore, you've got to check out what it's there for. True? Therefore, take up the full armour of God so you'll be able to stand 
and resist, so you'll be able to resist the evil day, having done everything to stand firm. Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, in addition to taking up the shield of faith, for which you'll be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and with all prayer and petition at all times in the Spirit. Now, we're not going to focus on all those little bits that Paul is talking about. We'll do that possibly later on when we do the series. I just want to talk about we are all engaged in a spiritual battle. We're all engaged in a battle in the life in which we live. There are battles that sometimes come our way. I want to, there's just four thoughts I want to leave you with when we leave this house today. Know about the evil in this world. I want you to be strong in the Lord. I want you to get to it and put your armor on and I want you to start doing it now. So there are four thoughts I want to unpack with us today about the knowing, knowing your enemy and knowing what to do about it. Know your enemy and know what to do about it. So here's the first thing that I, I want to focus on. Know about the evil in the world. <laughs> you don't need, to, don't need me to tell you there's evil in the world. There's a lot of beauty in the world. But there's a lot of things that aren't so beautiful in this world. But as Christians, we are meant to have a very, very different understanding about evil in this world than everybody else. As Christians, we're meant to be better informed about the evil in this world than everybody else. And I think sometimes as Christians, we lose the plot or we lose sight of actually what our enemy actually is all about. Um, there's a guy by the name of Bruce Clark. He's a professor and a seminary teacher, and he made this statement that I love and that it really spoke to me. And he said this, It seems to me that when I am in conflict, there's one truth that I so quickly and repeatedly lose sight of, knowing who the enemy is. I regularly misidentify the enemy as my spouse, my kids, my fellow church leaders, brothers or sisters in the Lord who disagree with me, non-Christian voices or movements within our culture, this or that politician, this corporate exec executive, this author, and the list goes on. But incredibly, Paul says that actually none of these are actually my enemy, nor can they ever be. When calling Christians in Ephesus to be ready, them, to ready themselves for spiritual warfare, he states... For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. That is a shocking statement if you start to think about it a bit. We have, as Christians, we do not have the privilege or the right to hate any person. We don't have the privilege or the right to allow our anger to turn into pulling people down, to direct at people where we are actually belittling or pulling people down. Why? Because our enemy is not the person. Our enemy is what's behind that person, the spirit in which they're operating from. And that is where our enemy truly is. Yet we live in a world of Instasham and all the rest of it where we're looking at all this stuff and we end up having enemies and people that disagree with us or that they disagree with me and, and we turn our anger against them and our struggle is not with them in any way, shape or form. Now, don't get me wrong. You need to know what you're talking about. You need to be able to put up a good argument. You need to be able to know the truth and allow the truth to set you free. But 
the reality is I cannot do it while I hate somebody else. And I don't know about you, but that is frustrating. Because there are times when people really get me mad. I know we can close our eyes, bow our heads. I'm probably the only one like that. There are times when, when people in my family get me. They know exactly what button to push. Isn't that true? And I can get all bent out of shape and I can get all twisted and bitter. But my enemy was never that person. And the Apostle Paul has been doing all this stuff through Ephesians where he talks about it. The first three chapters, he's talking about this incredible inheritance we have as Christians, this amazing reality of who we are and what we're all about. And then he tells you some practical things from chapter four onwards. And then he finalizes this up with, with this metaphor about this centurion. When he's writing this, Paul is writing from a prison. The place to which he's writing is Ephesus, which is one of the biggest debauched places in the whole of the, of the world at that time. It got the great temple to Diana, this, this fertility garden, and there's all this stuff going on in the midst of life. And so these people were, were being uh, salted with all sorts of stuff, and there's persecution going on. Christians are being imprisoned, and Paul is saying, they are not your enemies, have you, can you understand what he's saying? And he uses a metaphor of a Roman centurion, which was the one that was probably representative of one of the worst enemies of the church at the time. <laughs> and he says, that's not your enemy. That centurion's not your enemy. That person's not your enemy. And so for us as Christians... We have got to understand who our enemy is. The Bible puts it in three actual different parts that talks about the world, the flesh, and the devil. There are three areas, they all overlap. When he's talking about the world, he's talking about the thinking. and the, You know, it's not surprising that the world does not think like Christians. We get all, we get all shocked, don't we? Like, ah, how can people think like that? Because they're not saved. Like, Hello? What, what happened? They're like, people are like, they come out with all this stuff. I'm like, oh, we look at them like they've got four heads. And what, what is wrong with you? And the reality is they have not got truth the way we have truth. Now, oh, thank you for that underwhelming applause. <laughs> now, that doesn't mean you can be arrogant. Because a lot of Christians go, well, I got the truth. And you need to understand the truth. Well, that's pretty arrogant. We're not here to... We're here to reach out and to help people find truth and a truth that sets them free. Isn't that true? <laughs> B.F. Skinner summed this all up where he talked about it's all about your behaviours. There's a lot of people that want to try and control your behaviours to try and get you thinking in the right way and all of that is good but that does not fully explain the evil that's in the world because there's the next part of it which is the flesh which is the natural part of me that wants to side or to head away from God and there's a part of you and a part of this world that naturally is in rebellion against God and as a result of that it can push you and drag you away from your God-given destiny and future. 
And then thirdly, he says there's this thing called the devil or there's this spiritual force. There's a real person of the devil and his spiritual demons and so on. And a lot of Christians get, get they're looking for demons in, in every closet. There's a demon in that. There's a demon in this thing on the wall. There's a demon in this thing. I don't think the, the Bible doesn't teach you to get that obsessed. Paul is saying you have victory. You're like a Roman centurion. You know about Roman centurions when they walked around? They didn't walk around checking every closet to see whether there was a demon in it. They didn't walk around, oh, there might be an enemy there. Oh, look out. Did so many Christians are like that. We walk around like, oh, you know, oh, the devil's been, has been giving me a hard time. He's going to hell. That's what hell was made for. If he's given you a hard time, remind him of his future and get a hold of your future, which is what Paul is talking about all the way through Ephesians, that you are seated in heavenly places. He's blessed you with all blessings and spiritual. He's given you favor and goodness will follow you all the days of your life. You have an incredible future. <laughs> I'm not trying to diminish spiritual forces at work. I'm just saying we win. I'm just saying we're here to stand against them. I'm just saying there's greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. I, I, I'm just here to say we do have an enemy, but it is not in a person. It's not in somebody around. It's about pulling down strongholds in our own lives first, in our thinking, in our way in which we live, in our reaching out to people. The Christian, the first church, they were known for their love for one another. They were known for their fidelity in marriage. They were known for the fact that they didn't go out and get drunk everywhere. They were known for how they lived their life. And it was that that freaked out the people of the day. And that ought to freak out the people in our world today. When they look at the church, when they look at your life, they should be asking, what is wrong with you? What are you on? And then ultimately, I'll have what you're having. So you know that it's not a person. Second thing you've got to do is understand you've got to be strong in the Lord. I, I, there's this passage. It, Paul is wanting you to understand this, this. You have incredible strength in who you are. Paul is wanting you to understand it's no longer you that live but Christ that's in you. Paul is wanting you to understand to stand firm. He says stand and when you've done everything to do to stand, keep standing. He says, you have this ability to keep on standing, to keep on being who God has called you to be. Be strong in the Lord means to not rely on your own strength, but to rely on the strength that comes from him. You not rely on, on your own thinking, your own understanding, but you're here to decide that we're actually needing to actually live the way God is wanting us to live. This whole metaphor of a centurion is an interesting metaphor. Remember, Paul is in prison when he's writing this and he sees these centurions and he thinks about these centurions. And the one thing we know about the people that are centurions of that day, like the military of today, you get orders and you have to follow the orders. 
If you don't obey the orders, people die. If you don't follow the orders, you will not get the victory. If you don't follow the orders, there's a whole lot of stuff and consequences that come as a result. And Paul has got that image in his mind when he sees this Roman centurion. He doesn't see him as an enemy. He sees him as a metaphor of the kingdom of God. And he says, oh, the one thing that this centurion does above all things is obey for us. A lot of people say, well, I have to go to work. Do you? You don't have to go to work. You might get fired. There are consequences. But you're not going to die. Well, you might, I guess. If you don't go to work long enough. Most of the world we live in today in 2024 is about agreement. We want to be in agreement. So we ask the question all the time, why? Why? Remember when, when your children were growing up, that's that question that drives you insane, that your children ask, why? But why? But why? I think God gives us children to remind us <laughs> that's what we're like. We ask God, but why? In a time when we don't understand that answer. Have you ever tried to give a child the answer as to Why? They look at you like you've got four heads. They're like, yeah, but why? And in our, in our life, Sandy's the one that gives the simple answers. I, I give more complex answers. When, I, when our children would ask why, I would be, well, you know, the sun's ready and you know, go into depth and they just look at me like, but why? <laughs> and Sandy would go, well, it's really simple. But... You know, when it comes to serving God, if you haven't come across a passage of Scripture that you rest, don't wrestle with, I suggest you probably haven't come across Scripture. Because if you're reading the Bible, the Bible contains stuff that is reasonably annoying. Isn't that true? If, if I've got a, Paul says to renew my thinking. Do you know, I don't want to renew my thinking because I think I know it all. And, and, and I, I'm, I'm a little bit, you, you remember the disciples? <laughs> the disciples were in a boat and they're traveling along in the boat with Jesus and the storm comes. And when the storm comes in the middle of nowhere, in the middle of this water, in the middle of this lake, the, the Sea of Galilee, they, they're fishermen, so they know that this is a dangerous situation and, and Jesus, is, Jesus is what? He's asleep. I submit to you he probably wasn't asleep because it would seem to me to be relatively difficult to sleep in a tiny little boat that's been thrown several feet into the air at given times and coming down and being swamped with water. That would be a reasonably interesting feat. Jesus must have been a very good sleeper. That's all I could say. If you can sleep in a storm like that, more power to you. And when they woke Jesus up, they said, don't you care? We're going to die. <laughs> Ever been like that? Jesus gave them a command, get to the other side. They'd been with Jesus all the time. They'd seen people get healed, people get delivered, people get set free. It was a simple command, we're going to the other side. In the middle of going to the other side, a storm came. In the middle of that storm, they woke Jesus up and Jesus is like, like surprised almost. It was just a simple 
a simple thing. And, and I love the fact Jesus responds because Jesus doesn't say, oh, look, I'm terribly sorry. I forgot to tell you there was going to be a storm on the way. I'm terribly sorry that I forgot to tell you that maybe you might feel like you're about to drown. I'm terribly sorry. He didn't say any of that. He asked them a question. He said, where is your faith? He, he didn't say, oh, I'm sorry, I should have given you more faith. Oh, I'm sorry, I should have given you better warning. <laughs> he, he just said, where's your faith? He reminded them, what have you seen me do so far? What, what, what have you seen in your life up to now? What, what, why are you just so fearful about the future when all you've seen out of me has been your blessing, been breakthrough, about miracles, about me working in people's lives to bring about heaven on earth for them. Why are you afraid? Obey. <laughs> I wish it was as easy as I just said. Obey. When you read the Bible, obey. Don't get it wrong. But obey the simple things it says. Don't wrestle with it. Don't try and reinterpret it. Don't try and, and rationalize it. Don't, well, that was for them and not for now. That was the way it was back there and they sort of, you know, they were in a different day to us and maybe they were the patriarchal situation and so now, you know, Jesus has moved into a whole new situation and so in the 21st century, we know better. <laughs> it supposes that you know better than God Almighty. Simple. Obey. Be strong in the Lord means to just obey. God wants to come in and enrich us, empower us, but you can't do it unless you choose to obey. That centurion understood when you get an order, charge, you can't turn to your commanding officer and say, but, but why? It doesn't look like, I'm, I'm not feeling it today. Like it's, it's, and yet as Christians, how often do we do that? That is not knowing the enemy, which is the flesh within us. It's not knowing the fact of who we are. It's forgetting the fact that he has created you to be a new creation, that greater is he that's within you. So when you're asked to live a godly life, when you go through what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 5, when he says, put off the old man, when he says, don't live the way the rest of the, the world does, don't be the same sort of person, get rid of stuff out of your life, <clears throat> In fact, in Ephesians 4 and 22, it says this, in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is corrupted in accordance to the lusts of deceit, and that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and you put on the new self, which is in the likeness of God, has been created in righteousness and holiness of truth. Therefore, laying aside falsehood, speak truth to each other, uh, speak truth, each one of you, to his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Listen to verse 26. Be angry and don't sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and do not give the devil an opportunity. He who steals must steal no more. Rather practical. But rather he must labor performing with his own hands for that which is good so that he'll have something to share with one who has need. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth. No unwholesome word is not about swearing in that sense, about, is that what you call it, cuss words or whatever you want to call it, although it does include that. What it's saying is speak truth to one another and encourage one another don't be one of the people that says well you know we have just God may save whatever don't bring doubt bring faith don't bring misery bring joy 
Don't bring disruption, bring peace. That's what he's saying. Let no unwholesome word come out of your mouth. Only such word which is good for edification according to the need of the moment, and so it will give grace to those that hear and do not grieve the Holy Spirit from which you've been sealed. Paul's saying just very practically. He's saying live like a Christian. <laughs> he's saying be Christian. He said, well, that's really hard. No, it's not. It's a choice. I'll get on because you've gone all quiet on me. Because that leads me to my third thought which is, you've got to get to it. You've got to put the armor on. <laughs> you know, in the middle of a war, it's a bit hard to say, listen, would you mind? I know you're here with all your battle ready, but I haven't got my armor and I need to put it on. If you just give me 10 minutes, I'll come out and we'll deal with this. This is that's a lot of Christians. We're like, look, you know, the enemy comes and we're like, no, look, just give me a few minutes, will you? It's a bit late in the middle of when you're being attacked and besieged. It's a bit late to go, you know what, I need a... An, I need to put my armor on. Now, what is this armor? Because it's a strange metaphor, because most, most of you probably are not wandering around looking at people wearing armor. Most of you are not looking at Roman centurions. Maybe, you, maybe you've got pictures of them somewhere. Maybe you've seen some old-time movies or whatever. What Paul is really saying, because this is the summary of everything he's said up to now, he's saying, this is what you need to do. Put on the benefits and the reality of what the gospel, the good news of Jesus is all about. He says, you've got to put it on. You've got to start to think it. You've got to start to live it you got to start to be it you got to start to, that's what putting on the armor of God is it's not about getting some strange thing and doing some weird thing it's about just living like a Christian it's about putting on the helmet of salvation what does that mean it's about protecting your mind it's about getting God's word in there it's about the breastplate of righteousness when you feel like stinking whatever and you feel like you're not worthy you remind yourself that I'm a child of God God has redeemed me God has saved me I'm no longer who I am I am now I am now now who he says I am. He says about the shield of faith, where he says, put the shield of faith. The shield of faith was actually about the size of a door. It wasn't something you carried around. It was a shield of faith was when you were besieging a city, when you wanted to take the city. And what did they do when they tried to take the city? They threw flaming things at you so that you would catch on fire and burn and be destroyed. Well, the devil wants to stop you from taking ground in your life, from taking the promises of God in your life, the promises of God in your family, the promises of God. And so we put on the shield of faith what is faith faith is just there to believe that God is with me that I'm not going to sink I will make it to the other side surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life he says put it on put it on so many Christians so many of us and so many I speak for myself we get reminded of the need to put it on we're in the middle of a battle we're in the middle of a battle is the worst time to be trying to put it on. Better than not putting it on, I might point out. But how about we put it on now? How about we recognize who we are? How about we recognize that when we've got anger and frustration and bitterness against somebody, hey, hey, that is, I am now actually in the territory I've stripped off the armor of God. When I've got frustration that's pushed me to a point of bitterness <sighs> when I've got wrong thoughts going through my head and I allow them to stay I can't stop wrong thoughts but I can get rid of them 
Put on the armor of God. Paul is saying there's a benefit and a privilege of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I haven't got this passage, but I, I thought about it this morning because these, these are some of the interesting things. Paul, uh, Peter says in 2 Peter 1 verse 3, he says, seeing that his divine power has granted to us, listen, everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory. He says, you have everything you need. Ever felt like that? You haven't? That means you've got to change your thinking. That means you've got to put on the helmet of salvation. Listen to what he says, what Paul says in Corinthians. It's one of those frustrating verses. Is it, do you have frustrating verses? I have frustrating verses. I, I, I really do. This is one of the frustrating verses. 1 Corinthians 10 verse 13. No temptation has overtaken you, but such is common to men. That part, we're like, hallelujah, that's fantastic. God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted. Listen, beyond what you are able, but with the temptation, but will provide the way of escape so that you'll be able to endure it. Well, the devil made me do it, doesn't cut it. I couldn't help it, doesn't cut it. You haven't got the armour of God on. You haven't appropriated the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm still angry about this thing and I'm full of... No temptation has come your way, but there is a way of escaping. That's why we have a community. Paul wrote this to the church in Ephesus. And he wasn't writing it to an individual in as much as he was writing it to a community. Because there are all seasons in our life when stuff begins to happen that we forget the benefits and the privileges of the gospel of Jesus. Which is why we need one another which is why we turn up to church, which is why we do community groups, which is why we do stuff together so that we will encourage one another to remember who you are, to put on the armour of God in that sense, to take that metaphor. Paul wasn't trying to make you a really weird person because that's possibly already there. He was, he was trying... He was trying to remind you of the truth and he was using an everyday reality to help those people and you and I understand that it's every day, that it's not impossible and that if you just get a revelation from his word, if you just decide to do your devotions, if you just decide to spend time in prayer, you're putting it on. If you just begin to quote the word of God over your life, you're putting it on. If you haven't had difficulty in your life yet, you're just not old enough. Isn't that true? Just keep breathing. I don't need to prophesy. It'll just happen. But God says, I will be with you in that day. 
He says, well, why doesn't he take the evil out? Because he's not willing for any to perish, but to everyone to come to repentance. In other words, God is looking for the whole of humanity to hear the good news that they can be free, that they can have a life that's different, that they can have freedom, they can have joy, and they can have peace. And so we that remain, we are God's spokespeople on that. We are Christ's ambassadors, as if God through us was saying to the whole world, come and be reconciled, come, find out what this is all about. Come, you can find what, what the goodness of God is for your life and you can live differently in the world in which we live. That's what he's trying to say. Fourth thought, start doing it now. Have you got passages of scripture that you meditate on about your life. Maybe there's stuff going on in your family where unsaved. Well, salvation will come to you and your family, the Bible says. In Acts, said to the jailer, both you and your family shall be saved. I'm taking a hold of that. The Bible says in Psalms, goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Sometimes it doesn't feel like it. But I'm taking a hold of that. Bible says that he sets up a table in the presence of my enemies. In other words, I can have peace, I can have sustenance, I can have power and joy in the middle of all sorts of stuff going on around me. Getting a hold of his word and dare to believe it. The sickness in your world. Are you? Speaking to that sickness, by his stripes, I'm healed. By his stripes, I'm healed. I, I, I don't know what, how things will happen. I don't know exactly God's, how he's going to make it happen. I just know he does. And I know that because I've looked over the faithfulness of God in my own life through people in the Bible and people in the community of faith that I'm a part of. And I can see the goodness of God at work in their life. I can see God's faithfulness bringing them through situation and circumstance. And sometimes, I've got to be honest, when they're amidst them, people are saying stuff and they're saying what's going on in their world. I, I just sit there and sometimes the, the flesh in me and the world in me, it says, oh my God, how on earth are they ever going to make it through the other side? And I've got to arrest that thinking. I've got to bring God's Word in. I've got to see through eyes of faith and say, you're not facing this alone. God is with you. We're with you. And we're going to walk this out together. <laughs> We say it all the time, if only we'd spend more time in the community of faith and in His Word than we do in front of these things, in front of phones. Have you got people praying for you? If you're in the middle of a situation, have you gathered a group of trusted people to say, I need prayer? That's putting on the armour of God. Hey, yeah. Are you standing? Because Paul says, when you've done everything to stand, what does he say? He said, frustratingly, he says, stand. Why does he say that? Because he knows. How does he know? Because he's living it. 
He's in prison. He's writing, he's penning it. He's saying, I might be in bonds, I might be in chains, I, I, I might be in prison, I might be in a terrible situation, but I got joy, I got peace, I got a future, I got a hope, and I see God at work. This kingdom of God is real. Heaven and earth colliding is happening right here in the middle of my life. And I look at Paul and I say, Paul, I want what you had. And he writes saying, you can have it freely. That's the gospel. That's what we call the gospel. That's the good news of being a Christian. So as we go on through the rest of this year, how about we figure out who our enemy really is? And how about we figure out what to do? Most of the things we battle with happen in here, happen in here, and they don't happen out here. Even when someone does evil towards me, my Bible says he'll turn it around for good. Even when bad stuff happens, my Bible says that God will work it for his purposes. I'm putting on the benefits of the gospel. I'm putting on the benefits of the gospel. Oh, and when you do, when you do, Oh, when you do, what a life.